you are tuned in. Welcome back if you frequent the Adrian Ross Show. And welcome for the first time if this is, in fact, your first time. And this is a great show. I have guests with me today, and we're going to talk about something that you've been hearing about, no doubt. You know that two weeks ago, the Supreme Court rendered a decision about affirmative action. And so I'm honored to have guests today who are educators and uh Wow, it would be wonderful to pick their brains to see what they're thinking about this very, very important decision that came down. So here we go. Well, I'm honored to welcome to the Adrian Ross Show my guests. I have uh, before me now, I have two educators with me for this important conversation we're going to have. Uh, let me just let you know, there might be a couple more people who pop on because I was supposed to have uh, four guests, actually, but who can anticipate a storm uh, a brewing? <laughs> but uh, the guests who are in New York are in the midst of a storm and they don't have power right now. And so they let me know that they may not be able to make it. And so I let them know that we're kind of laid back here. And so if they get a chance to just jump on, then they can just jump on and join in the conversation. But even if they don't jump on, I have high caliber guests with me on the Adrian Ross show. And you're going to find that out in a moment because I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. So first of all, hello, Mike. Hello, Kia. Hello. hello. Yes. I'm glad you're here on the Adrian Ross show. And I've asked you to join me because we're going to discuss something really important. The recent Supreme Court decision about affirmative action. And that was a 6-3 ruling, which stated that after decades, race can no longer be a consideration in admissions practices in higher education. And that decision came down on June 29th. So that's exactly two weeks from today. And the way I look at it is uh, we've had time for the smoke to clear because this decision uh, elicited a lot of a lot of response and a lot of emotion. And so we've got, you know, the smoke has cleared a little bit and now it's time to talk. And who better to talk to than people who are educators uh, themselves. So whose perspectives we can obviously gain from. So let me introduce everyone to my two guests, my two educators. And then if the other two come on at that time, I will let you meet them. All right, so I'm going to start with Kia. Kia, wave to the people. Hello. Here's Kia. All right, so Kia Cordo is a veteran educator of the public and private sectors with over 21 years of experience. She graduated from Brockport College with a BS in political science, minoring in English and criminal justice. She later pursued her teaching certifications in Florida and Texas and currently teaches advanced high school classes in English and Cambridge University's global perspectives and research classes in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He is also a board member of the anti-human trafficking nonprofit organization called There Is Hope For Me. He is an author, a motivational speaker, and ordained pastor serving her community for over 20 years alongside her husband, David, and their three children, Elisha, Cherie, and Jordan. 
So that's Kia. You can see what I said. We've got a high caliber of guests here in the field of education, which is important for this conversation, I believe. And uh, my second guest is Michael Mike Diaz. He told me to call him Mike. Uh, <laughs> I just thought I'd let you know it's short for Michael. But Mike Diaz is a colleague of Kia, actually. And he was born and raised in Hialeah. Am I saying that right? Hialeah. Hialeah, Hialeah, Florida, the child of Cuban immigrants. He graduated from Hialeah Miami Lakes High in 2000, received his bachelor's of, in organizational leadership, which he said is business administration without the math, in 2015, and graduated at the top of his program from Southern New Hampshire University in 2021 with a degree in English and creative writing. He teaches uh, both subjects at Somerset Chapel Trail, where he just finished his second year. Now, uh, my audience knows that I have a background in English uh, education. And, um, but, you know, I may have somebody who's tuned in for the, for the first time. So I'm just giving you a little bit about my teaching background. And that is, I have a Bachelor of Science in English from Brockport. He and I graduated together, actually, from Brockport. I have a Master of Arts in Teaching English um, from SUNY New Paltz. And I am certified in New York to teach grades 7 through 12 and certified, and that's English, certified in the state of Missouri to teach language arts grades 5 through 9 and English grades nine through 12. So two certifications um, in Missouri. I taught seventh grade for um, 17 plus years in the Hudson City School District, English, seventh grade. I am also an author, editor, columnist, uh, John Maxwell certified speaker, trainer and coach, ordained minister, and obviously a podcast host. All right. So now you guys know a little bit about, about us and our background and why we care about this conversation that highly impacts education. So listen, listen, guys, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pussyfoot around. I'm going to, I'm going to do what you do to your students, I'm sure. And that is kind of put them on the spot. And I'm going to ask you a question that. I don't know. It might seem irrelevant to the topic to you, although I doubt it. I think it's very relevant to the topic. But like I said, I'm just going to jump right in with this question. Okay. So here's my question to both of you before we even get started. Is America a systemically racist country? And like I said, I'm not messing around. I'm jumping in. I'm jumping right in. So we're going to get to know each other. But you know what? Let me pause here for a second because I want to make sure the audience knows. I purposely asked not to know where my guests stand on this particular issue. Now, Kia had made a, a short comment on something that I wrote. So I kind of picked up something, but there's been no discussion, no elaboration. And the other two guests that they come on, there's been no discussion. I didn't want to know. I wanted to find out together. So I don't know where they stand on this issue with affirmative action. All right. But I'm going to start with this question again. Key, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is America a systemically racist country? That is a spot question for sure. I would say in 2023, we are, um, is this even a term? We are probably the opposite of systemic racism. I think we work so hard not to be racist. 
you know, generally speaking, that it's racist, if that makes sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, that uh, we, we, so I think we have been systemically racist you know, we look at the Jim Crow laws, we look at, you know, the civil rights movement, you know, my, my parents growing up during that, you know, um, Martin Luther King Jr. era where they're marching and dealing with that and in college and, and etc. Mm -hmm. And to the 21st century, I think we've turned a corner dramatically. And I think when people have, um, when people point to the to the facts, our previous facts or our past facts, that you know that there were some systemically racist principles and practices in our country, those things don't exist today. I don't think those things exist today in the sense that it's systemic, it's built in, it's a fabric of our nation. I really think that most people are genuinely, um, genuinely authentic in their idea that people are people, um, our blood is the same color. Um, it doesn't matter what's on the outside and how much melanin you have. So that's where I am. Okay. So you acknowledge the past, the history of racism, but where we are today, you're saying, no, it's not woven into the fabric of who we are at this point. Right. I got you right. All right. Okay. Mike, what do you say? I agree with Kia. Uh, again, um, I wasn't around in the sixties, but my mother, uh, by the way, Hialeah is a suburb. I guess it's a suburb of Miami. So we're in South, South Florida. Um, when she arrived here from Cuba, uh, she got here in January 1st, 1962, there were, uh, you know, they were told to go home. There were, you know, Miami, there were, uh, there were water fountains that said, you know, no Cubans allowed, all stuff. So that always hit me. Now, again, I didn't experience it to that extent in any way. Um, so I think it's very different now than it was then. I don't think, like Kia said, it's built into our, you know, into our system you know um like it was before does racism exist absolutely um i was called an it once at a gas station in uh was it virginia i think it was virginia or like one of the surrounding states we were with my brother and the little girl called me an it she goes look mommy it's over there i'm very very cuban you know if you look down here you can tell my i have an accent you know the hylia accent so yes i'm very you know and i pride myself on the way i speak but there's an accent there so um, as, as far as, as systemic, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I don't think it does exist anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I think people want to push that it exists, but mm -hmm. I don't think what's going on now is nothing compared to what happened in the 60s and the 50s and mm -hmm. you know, going further back. Okay, one of the things you'll know about me, Mike, too, is that I can have a plan here and it can go all out in the window because uh, you said something and I just want to roll with it. Now, you said... I think that people may want to push that it exists. So my question for you is, Akia can weigh in also, what is the point of that? Why are there, if, if that is in fact true, why? Why do people want to push that narrative? Heavy question. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, I don't know. You know, I like, for example, I... You know, I, I, of course, it's everywhere, TikTok, Instagram, and all that, about, you know, the whole thing, of, oh, I want reparations. Mm -hmm. You're 20 years old. You didn't go through anything what your grandmother or your mother went through. What do you, what, what, what do you need reparations for? You know, you're, if anything, your grandmother would need reparations, not you, you get me? And I don't think it should be willed in, okay, my grandmother went through this so I can get, I think, 
a lot uh, one thing I do see about this generation and the generation right before it, it's a lot of victimization. Oh man, poor me. And you know, mm-hmm. oh, woe is me. Like, for example, I always tell my students back in my day, and again, I graduated 20 some odd years ago, the teacher called my house. It wasn't the teacher's problem. It was my problem. They would tan my hide if that happened. Now yeah, it's become now it's become, oh, no, well, what, the, you know, it's the teacher's fault because the kid's not doing what they have to do and all stuff. So I think, and I, and I tell my students all the time, you guys have a very uh, big uh, victim complex without having earned that right. Because you guys come from the generation where you have phones, you can order pizza for the, the you know, on an app, you know, everything's come easy to you guys. And still somehow it's always woe is you. It sounds to me, I'm going to ask you, Kia, too, it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's not racism that's uh, systemic or woven into the fabric of who we are, but it's victimization that is has become systemic in who we are. That's interesting. All right, Kia, what about you? I have to agree. I think, um, I think that the way young people and, I mean, and, and those who just don't want to who are having a difficult time. So I, I can't I can't put box everyone in and say those who are um, who are playing the they're, that they're victims. They're playing their victim card, you know, because people do have difficult times. It's not easy oh, for yeah. everybody to get to where they need to go. It's yeah. definitely not. Not everybody is on the same playing field, and in the in the sense that you know we we start off with you know a, a trust fund from our fam our our ancestors and you know we have a step up you know we all come from different backgrounds we all have our different journeys um uh, but we all have opportunities to get to where we want to go mm-hmm. but that's up to that's up to us is it going to be easy no not and it's usually not easy for anybody you know it, but i think people have that idea that the grass is always greener on the other side Mm-hmm. And that if it's difficult for me, man, nobody knows what I'm going through right now. Nobody understands how I feel and how hard this is. And oh my goodness, you know, I've crashed my second car. Second car? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Walk, take the bus, you know, yeah. what is, you know, but people don't understand that. And yeah. and I think, you know, that has media, social media, and just the 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 access that we have in America, and really, you know, and I, I can't speak for other countries, but really it, it's internationally, the access that we have predisposes us to say, well, if it's not like this, then, you know, it must be bad. It's something, somebody did something wrong. The government has to pay. Um, society has to pay. You know, we've got these, we've got, you know, I don't want to digress, but we've got people who are, who are they've rolled back the prosecution laws for people for theft. I'm like, that makes no sense. You're telling me if you, if you don't, if they don't steal more than $900, then they're not going to be prosecuted. Well, that's a, that's a, that's easy yeah. money right there. That yeah. It makes no sense. So I think in terms of, in terms of racism, you know, if, if you're stealing from me and, and if you happen to be a person of color, I'm gonna call it like a idiot. <laughs> because you just stole from me. I don't care what right. color you are. Bring my stuff back, right? So you know, it, and I think we use those things because we see what's in the news, or we have, or people have experiences. You know, we have people that are fighting for us. I mean, there's so many, there's so many nuances to this conversation. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, and not to cut you off, but um, 
when you say there's so many nuances to this conversation, that that brings me to my next point because I do I do want to go ahead and just dive into this whole thing with affirmative action with this decision. And right. okay, so race is not to be considered in admissions practices for colleges and universities. Some people say it's a complicated issue. Other people say it's not complicated at all. This is black and white, you know. Right. But one thing I've noticed is that it is a political issue, although it probably shouldn't be because the Supreme Court voted, as often is the case, along political lines, right? right? Not sure why that is, but what say you? This is what I want to know from both of you. Um, is this complicated? Is it black and white? And succinctly, what is your opinion of this decision that the Supreme Court rendered two weeks ago? Mike, complicated, simple. What do you think of the opinion? I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. I think it's simple, but people want to complicate it and make it more. Um, everything's now politicized. Everything, you know, you know, so I think they're making that. I honestly believe I'm of you know, you should get to college because it's merit-based. I don't believe that it should be, you know, I don't want to leg up because, you know, my parents are Cuban immigrants. I was taught that you earn things in life. I want, you know, <laughs> I want to work hard. Yeah, working hard sucks. I'm not going to say, oh, I love working hard. And, you know, I got my bachelor's while working 40 hours a week going to school full-time. Was it easy? Absolutely not. But I reaped the reward of that moment that I graduated. I'm like, man, I worked hard for this. It wasn't handed to me. I didn't get in because I, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm Hispanic. And the funny thing is when Kia wrote to me what the subject was about, I remembered many years ago, I was like 2007, 2008, the daughter of a friend of mine didn't get into college. And when she questioned, like she went and questioned it, they're like, oh, well, we, we wanted more diversity. Mind you, this girl's last name is Cook, but she's half Mexican. The only reason she didn't put that she's half Hispanic was because her father, who had a last, the last name Cook, was abusive and abandoned her. So she wasn't going to, you know, she wasn't going to identify as that. But she's like, well, I'm half Mexican. You could have, should have taken me. Well, you know, the school by that time was too late. So that always struck me. I'm like, well, why on earth? I, sh I It should have been merit-based. But, you know, at the time it was affirmative action. And so, yeah, all that to say, things should be merit-based. It should be, you know, if you work hard, if you want to get into Harvard and you work your tail off, it should be, you should get in because of, okay, you have the GPA, you have everything Not Oh, well, you have a lower GPA, but we fill a quota with you. Mm -hmm. So you are in agreement with the decision. Yes. This is a good place to pause and step in and tell you about a new search engine called Luxel. All this talk about colleges is making me think about discovering the world, which is what we do in college. But search engines should also be a place for you to discover the world and make your own decisions about what you find. That's why Luxel is improving your access to information. The new search engine eliminates search engine bias that gets in the way of your searches. You can filter results to lean right or left. From there, you can sort it by Luxel's algorithm, alphabetically, and by freshness. Plus, there's no price for privacy. Luxel is free and does not track you or sell your data. Can you believe that? Let me repeat that. Luxel is free and does not track you or sell your data. Check out Luxel. That's L-U-X-X-L-E dot com.
and take control of your searches. Okay, and Kia, is it complicated? And what do you think? Um, I think it's, no, I don't think it's complicated at all. I think it's, um, I think the simplicity of the decision is, um, is that if we want to say that the, that people should not be judged by the color of their skin, then we have to believe that. And we have to follow through. You can't have it both ways. You cannot say, oh, don't, you know, don't look at the color, the color of their skin. That's why they're, why people are being discriminated against and then push a policy that focuses on the color of a person's skin. So, you know, you, you just can't go both ways now. And I, I, and I say that in, I don't know that I would say it's a black and white issue, you know, excuse the pun. Um, but I think it is a, when the, when the um, decision to push affirmative action, to put that in place, put that parameter in place, you know, we we're in the sixties and in the seventies and, and, and really throughout the, the eighties, that time frame we were not seeing as much diversity in colleges and it was never, it was, that decision was never meant to last for more than 25 years. I wanna say that it said that there, the parameter was, this should be over before that 25 year mark, but if we get there, which we are now, we're just short of 25 years, I think, um, then it should be abolished. So have we turned the quarter? I think absolutely. I think, um, the areas I was looking up literacy rates and, you know, we still have so many issues in just secondary education and there are lower elementary education, middle school, you know, high school, we have so many issues across the nation, you know, so that everybody can have the opportunity to go to college. You know, I think, I think um, ultimately will colleges look at the decisions based on, you know, will race play, play a factor? Um, probably. You know, I don't think it necessarily does away with their their understanding of the whole person, you know, holistically accepting a person into college because it's going to, you know, they're going to look at their grades, they're going to look at their activities that they're involved in, they're going to look at, you know, their essay, if they're going to require an essay, you know, and if people are, if students are writing about their experience growing up as, you know, as an immigrant or growing up as a, you know, as an African American or Hispanic American or whatever, or Asian American, then, you know, that, that may play a role. And so we're human. Yeah. And all those oh. things are going to play a role, some, some, in some shape or form. But to say that uh, uh, that someone should be um, allowed entry into a university based on um, what they look like, irregardless of of merit, makes no sense. It's interesting because you mentioned the essays because uh, I believe Justice Roberts, in in his, you know, when he uh, wrote his opinion, however they say that, the legal term for that. He mm -hmm. talked about that they you can write about your experience as a as a you know whatever your race is, and right. that's probably where it's going to be headed. So people and and you're going to see that in a moment when I show you a clip. But um, people are going to use that as their leverage um, to talk about their race in the way that they that they can. And and so some are concerned that it's it's still going to be the same thing, but it's just going to be through through other means. To, through other to, means. Yeah. All right. So I want to show you uh, for context of this whole thing, I'm going to, I'm going to watch and share my screen and we're going to watch um, a conversation that Megan Kelly of the Megan Kelly show, uh, formerly of Fox way back. Right. Um, she's having a conversation with Jason Riley. Now, Jason Riley has spent years studying this, this subject um, writing, uh, he knows a lot about, it. he knows a lot of the statistics. 
it's um, it's under five minutes, so I just think it's important to our conversation. So I'm going to share the screen, uh, and then I want to hear from you about this exchange that they have and some of the information that we learn here. This is historic. Thank God the Supreme Court has finally seen the light and has ruled that racism in college admissions is no longer allowed. The U.S. Supreme Court announces another blockbuster and, as I said, historic ruling. It is a six to three decision, and the high court, after decades of arguing over this, has finally ruled that it is unconstitutional to consider race in university admissions under the Equal Protection Clause of our Constitution. Chief Justice Roberts, writing for the majority, quote, eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it. And he goes on from there. Joining me now, someone who has written extensively on this topic, Jason Riley. Jason's been speaking and writing about the issue of affirmative action for decades. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and author of the recent book. This is historic, and I know you've been you've been talking about this for a long time. The, the mainstream nar narrative already is how calamitous this is going to be from wow. minority students. And I've heard you enough times to know your position is no, to the contrary, it's exactly the opposite. Yes, I, I, I think it is exactly the opposite. Uh, you know, the, the question here was not only uh, for me that the constitutionality, the dubious constitutionality of racial preferences, I also looked at the harm that these policies were doing to uh, to black students. And, 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 and so I think, um, you know, we, we saw what would happen when they went away because some states had eliminated race-based uh, affirmative action in college admissions, like California back in the 1990s. And after California did it, uh, Black uh, enrollment in the University of California system went up. Black graduation rates went up, and not by a little bit. And in the more difficult STEM fields, they went up. So these were good outcomes. You know, th these policies had been put in place to supposedly help increase the ranks of the Black middle class. But in practice, they had been resulting in fewer Black doctors and lawyers and scientists than we would have had in the absence of the policy. So I'm, I'm so happy. I share your enthusiasm uh, about uh, the importance of today and getting rid of, of, these, uh, of these policies. I think this, this is a decision that makes America more just for everyone, Megan. Um, uh, no one should be discriminated against, not Blacks, not Whites, not Asians, not Hispanics. And obviously the Asians were the plaintiffs in this case, but what kind of sense does it make to you know, discriminate against Asians because of what Whites did to Blacks? It makes no mm -hmm. sense whatsoever. Uh, the mm -hmm. best way of going forward is not to discriminate, period. Yes, exactly right. And and the court said that there was an original decision back in, I think it was 78 was Backey. And then the court took another look at this in uh, 2003 when Sandra Day O'Connor said, all right, you know, we're, we're going to allow it. We're, we're going to continue to allow race to be a factor, but it cannot be the factor, which is the first time the Supreme Court actually sort of fully embraced what had been a very divided decision back in 78 and said, yes, okay, we stand by that. And that is the law. However, we can only see this taking place for another 25 years or so. Any race-based race -based decisions um, would have to be evaluated under the strictest constitutional scrutiny. And we don't see this one withstanding scrutiny for more than the next two decades. 
And here we are, we're two decades later, not quite 25 years, but two decades after that decision. And the court finally saying, it's time, this is ridiculous. We can't keep doing this. And your justifications, Harvard and UNC, for continuing to use race as a factor are so vague and amorphous, no court could ever meaningfully assess them. You've been talking about that for a while too, because they basically say, well, it's, it's just good for the student body to have a diverse collection of students. But how's the court supposed to put its finger on whether or not that actually is producing real benefits? I'm going to I'm going in a moment to go back to where they to go back to where they left off in the conversation about diversity. But just in what that discussion, where are they off? Where are they on? What jumps out to either one of you in that conversation? Well, I think we hit the, you know, we kind of hit that mark already um, in our conversation is that it's, you know, at a time when we, our society may have needed it, um, we could see, we could, it could be justified, but at this point, there's just, it just, it, it's nonsensical, um, especially when the heart cry of the country is equality, equality, equality for everyone. You, and you can't, you, you can't rewrite we can't rewrite history, number one, and then we can't turn history, turn our society upside down so that it's, you know, it's for, it's pro minorities as opposed to pro everyone. And, you know, and I think that's been the struggle, mm -hmm. across, you know, different lines. So um, I think the, the onus on, on where we, on how powerful this, this um, ruling will be is, you know, is that, you know, how many people are, how many people are graduating high school? How many people are going to college? You know, who's, a, who's applying for these universities? And are they not applying because they don't know that they can go? Or, you know, is there, is there a lack of knowledge there? So mm -hmm. I just don't think it's, I just don't think it's necessary. I remember going to school, my first week at Brockport in 19, oh goodness, 1988. Um, my first week at Brockport, um, a woman came up, a, girl um actually ended up being a sorority sister came up to me later on she wasn't at that point but came up to me and said um you know you're here for because of affirmative action you're you're oh. here you're filling a quota and I was so angry at first I was like what are you talking about mm -hmm. um she's like well the only reason that you even got in here is because you're you're filling a quota so I you know I put my fork down know what I was about to eat and I said I didn't know anybody but I certainly knew myself and I said, oh no, I worked really hard to get here. So, you know, if you, she wanted me to join um, the black the black um, student union or the black um, Alliance club, something, I, I don't remember the official name of it. OSED. And right? I said, oh yeah, OSED. And, and I had a lot of friends in OSED. Um, I never officially became an OSED member though I worked with them in, in, on other projects. I said, oh no, that you're not gonna bully me into joining something that makes no sense to me. Um, not that the OSAD, club didn't make sense. Yeah, OSAD is the Organization for Students of African Descent, by the way. No. Yes, yeah. So I was like, I am not a quota. I worked really hard to get here. I, and wherever I was going to be, I, I worked, that was, you know, my, my, uh, my effort, my late night studying, my, you know, my parents pushing me, no, no, you're going to college, you know, because we're, you're educators and, um, you know, and this is your opportunity to get ahead. And to do what you need to do, do what you want to do in life. So filling a quota, I was extremely angry. And so, you know, I, well, I can kind of concur with Mike that says, look, you know, just, you know, and there are opportunities when we do, when things are made easy for 
individuals. And, you know, I'm all for that. You know, if we can figure out how to make things easier, then that's wonderful. But you cannot, we cannot underestimate under no circumstances, the power of just hard work. Got to ask you this question though, and then I'll get you and Mike, because something you said jumped out at me. I was going to go there, but I'll go there now. Um, how do you know affirmative action didn't play a factor in your uh, acceptance? Or do you? a good question yeah and there's a point how do a- i know yeah yeah i mean i guess i i guess i wouldn't know i mean i didn't get any i didn't get any funding i didn't get any you know i had to pay out of pocket for the entire thing i had to work um i had to submit my scores you know i had the grades um it, it was not my first choice and, and act actually it was my last choice had affirmative action been working on my behalf i'd have been in dc but it didn't work that way I ended up in way upstate New York. So, you know, so I'm thinking they, they affirmative action policy skipped over me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it That's not- all I can say about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get back to that. Mike, what, what do you have to say about that conversation um, that Megan Kelly and Jason Riley had? One of the things that stuck out again, uh, I really didn't know about affirmative action. until that story I told you with that coworker and that was in 2006, 2007. I didn't, it was started in 77. It was supposed to end in 72. I mean, oh, 72, 0203. And then they extended it. I, I was like in the nineties. I don't remember anything in the nineties about that. Um, I didn't know it had gone out. Now I, I agree with Kia that yes, I, I, there was a time that yes, we needed that. So, you know, I, maybe it was to, um, for diversity, but I think it's, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe they wanted uh, more, um, different races to apply for school and say, Hey, maybe this is our opportunity and maybe give them that little drive, but it's gotten to the point that it's, you know, it's only to fill numbers and to check a box. And I don't think anybody should be, um, I don't want to say dumbed down, but should be reduced to just being a checked box. I think if you want someone at your university, it's because, you know, they're going to make a difference in a good way, not, oh, okay. Oh, we got an American Indian. Perfect. We got a Hispanic. Perfect. This is great. We filled our quotas. Now, you know, let's go to lunch. I think, you know, they should be there because they worked hard. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with what Megan, they were both saying. I honestly didn't think it was that far back. I honestly, again, I well, didn't aware of it 15 years ago. One thing that Jason Riley points out, and he knows this from all his research, which you don't hear a lot of people talking about, and some people will probably, their instinct would probably be to go, no, I don't believe that. But he, He points out, and even further in their conversation, that it's not just unfair, it's actually harmful to minorities because he's saying that other states, other states like in the 90s, California being one of them, got rid of that a long time ago and actually things improved. Hmm. For black students in particular, there was an improvement. The edu- uh, the um, the graduation rate uh, was higher. The success rate was high. It was the enrollment was higher, and then people went on to graduate. And then people going into the difficult STEM fields was right. higher. We have more doctors and lawyers and things like that. And his point that he's making, which I know that there are people, and and I'd love to hear from you because, you know, I'm all about conversation. But one of the things he's saying is that when people are in schools where they should be, then they're going to be more successful. 
Right. And so well, and it's based on their merit. You know, they're there. They're there because they earn the right to be there and they're right. successful and they're driven to be successful. And exactly. Absolutely. He's saying, yeah, he's saying why he said many of them who ended up going to HBCUs, right? Historically black colleges and universities, they were success. Of course, they don't have affirmative action, right? And the people who qualified to go there and went there, they ended up, it ended up producing more people in those STEM fields. But when mm -hmm. we're just trying to fit somewhere where we don't belong. Now, the minorities, I don't like that term, but I'll use the minorities who ended up at, say, Harvard and UNC or whatever, who merited being there, they were successful. But those who weren't, they were less successful. Hmm. And so a lot of people are like, oh, no, 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 you know, that's not, that's not the case. So I think that's an interesting dynamic. So he's not just in it because it's like, well, you know, constitutional, but he's saying beyond the constitution, right. it's, it's harmful to place right. people where they are not being set up to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And why are we doing that? Like, you know, what, what's the, so that you can say that you went to Harvard and failed well, it's exactly. political exactly. it's political yeah. it's political um and it's all about it's all about money it's all about you know if you do this first of all it's it's votes you know it's and it's a cover-up really it's or maybe a facade that if we say oh we are we are supporting the minority communities that um and so we're we are making it so that it's possible so that you can't come back and say that we don't care oh we care make sure you vote for us it's completely political um and we can look at it's really the same the same um um lines as our as our whole welfare system you know it is as long as we're as long as our government is saying here let me feed you let me help you let me let me serve you let me make sure that you're coddled and you're happy you know, enough to get a lot, get by anyway, then you'll vote for me and you'll keep me where I am, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. it's, it's, it's manipulative, it's hurtful, it's damaging. And there's a reason why for the black community anyway, there are several, there are many reasons why this population has only grown to 13% over our existence in, um, in America. There's a reason. So, you know, I'm pretty, I was pretty excited that it was Asian Americans who said, you know what, we work so hard. You guys have no idea the time and the effort and the, the discipline that we have here. There is no reason why I should not have been accepted into this and why I should be I should be beaten out based on, you know, something that is unmerited. And, yeah. you know, I was proud that they that there are there are some in that demographic who stood up and said, you know, I, you know, I, yeah. I don't get to just be a stereotype. Well, let me tell let me share this with you that they that this this statistic that a, a study in one of the briefs um, showed that a typical Asian male student had a 25% chance of admission. Okay, I think this was, I think this was Harvard. Okay, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I didn't, I, I don't remember exactly. But I think it was Harvard, but a typical uh, male Asian student had 25% chance of admission if you keep everything the same class rank, test scores, et cetera, simply change the race to black, the right. chance of admission went up to 95. 95%. Yes, I heard that. That's, That's I mean, insane. It, it is, but there are black people, Hispanic people, et cetera, who 
who are worried. They're legitimately concerned mm-hmm. with this decision. Um, so what do you say to those people? Because some of those people do believe that America is systemically racist. And if they're not believing that, then here's the other thing, Mike, that they would have to be believing. They would have to be, be believing that minorities are less capable. It would have to be one or the other. Am I, what, do, what do you think? I think I, as, as you ladies were talking, I was thinking and of taking everything in. Um, let's, what were the standards as far as, let's say Harvard? I don't know. Because the, the, how did they have like a, a number that they had to reach? Oh, we want this many black students, as many Hispanic. Then even in that, let's say they fill up other Hispanic, they want five Hispanic and 10 black. Well, you know, that could even cause problems like, well, why do you have more blacks than Hispanic? We're minorities too, and all that stuff. So I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, like what what were the numbers? What was the, what was their uh like yeah pie chart looking like? Okay, this is you know, these are the ones that get in by merit. This is where our affirmative action comes in. And it was it equal, was it not? And I look at it like I don't have children, but um, you know, I went to high school, I knew people that worked really, really hard. And let's say I had a daughter or a son who worked really, really hard, fought for 12 years because these kids are getting GPAs in the six point, whatever. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and they work hard and whatever. And just because they don't fit into a group, they're not going to get into the college of their dreams. That would break my heart as a parent. I'd be like, well, you know what? Then they might think, well, what did I work so hard for? You know, all this time, if I'm not, if I'm not going to be accepted because of all the things that I've done, it's because I, I don't fit into, to, any particular group that's not white, you know, of course my children would be considered white, but we're, you know, because of my skin color, but we're Hispanic too. So that's what I think about. I mean, I'd be very upset as a parent. I'd be very upset as a student. I'd be very downtrodden if like, oh, you know, yeah, they wanted someone else because who got a less GPA, didn't work as hard to go to this right. prestigious school or any school. Let's, let's even put um, UM, University of Miami is huge down here. You know, that the school's not easy to get into, but you work hard and you don't get in because you don't fill fill, fill, fill a quota. That's mm-hmm. that's they don't think about those other students. You get me? I get where they're that's coming insane. from. The, the minorities. They're giving them a major crutch, but there's also a lot who lose out because they don't fit that quota, and yeah. it's it's rough. You know, they're only focused on one set of people instead of everyone, so it's not equal. You know, yeah. if we're gonna talk right. about equal, right. not equal in a way. Right. Right. Well. Um, I said I was going to get back to this, so I so I will. We ended that that clip with them starting a conversation about diversity. Is diversity important though? Because I guess the the belief is that if you do it on merit alone, then the population in that particular environment isn't going to be as diverse as some people think it needs to be. Is diversity important in your educational experience? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It is. It, it, so if diversity, so if diversity is really important, then how do you stand against affirmative action when affirmative action is going to bring you a measure of diversity? I think it should be, you know, you we teach our, the children, you have to work hard to get what you want. It's not, oh, you know, relax, don't worry. You know, you'll, Again, I'm not saying this is an exaggerated, you know, point of view, but it, 
if you if you give them a crutch, they're going to use it. Let's be honest. The anyone gives me a crutch, I'm probably going to use it. You get me? So if they're if they know, okay, you have to work hard to achieve X, Y, and Z, and ingrain that in them at an early age, then you know they'll have a different mindset than oh, I'm just going to get in because of who I am and what what box I check. If that makes any sense. Hmm. Um, I think. I think uh, along with that is that we have to, as parents and as educators, we have to remind people, look, if you want a say, you need to be at the table. Um, and, you know, we can look at um, human nature, which is to kind of create cliques and create these groups that are isolated, you know, these isolationist types of theories and, and groups um, that will that will kind of maybe predispose different people. But I mean, if you're, if you want to be a part of the story, then be a part of the story. Um, so I don't think that that's the fault of, if that makes sense, I don't think that's the fault of um, say white folks because they're at the table, you know? Um, I think that the table is big enough for everybody and that we need to just be a part of that, a part of that table. So yes, diversity, is necessary where, you know, I tell my students all the time, I said, where, where our school, where Mike and I teach, we're probably what, 95, 96% his, Hispanic and, you know, and, and maybe not 95, maybe we're about 85 and then 20%, or maybe that's, that's the wrong, that's the wrong statistic. 80% Hispanic, 20% black, um, you know, another, you know, we have some maybe very small, what, maybe one, 2% white. I mean, we have a lot of diversity. My numbers are not, I haven't looked them up lately, so my numbers aren't quite correct, but it's a very high, it's a very high concentration of people of color. We've got um, people of Native Americans, we've got all different kinds of, of um, Latinas and Latinos um, that are, that are, Caribbean, Haitians, Africans, I mean, um, Europeans, um, we've got all kinds of, Asians. it's so, Asians, it's so rich. And I tell my students, most of America is not like this classroom. Most of America is not like South Florida. I mean, we're an anomaly, I think. And, you know, and, and as we are getting more and more diversity in the United States with all the, with all the immigrants that are coming in, you know, I think the positive side to that is that we are, there is opportunity. It's it ha it's going to happen just by sheer number. Oh, okay. just by sheer number. So you're saying diversity uh, should not be forced in the way of affirmative action, but it will just it will just take place. It'd be it's organic. It's going to be organic. I mean, looking at when when I was in school, you know, I was always the the one black girl in, in this in this school. Maybe there an, another one. By the time I got to middle school, I think we had two or three. Um, you know, start to grow a little bit, you know, in, in the advanced classes. Um, and um, I mean, always, always. So, you know, I could have been in another class and I'm like, no, 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 I, I need to be at the table. This is where I'm supposed to be. You know, you're not going to force me out of, the, out of the, out of this particular room. You know, there are two things along those lines uh, uh, concerning diversity and number one, they go on to say that there is not, nothing measurable that proves that diversity has as much importance as we have given it. Uh, there's nothing that he said you have to show is graduation is the graduation rate. Can't even say it. Is the graduation rate higher because the school is more diverse? 
he's saying we can't, we've never been able to quantify that. You can measure it's, that. A good, it's a good conversation point. Sure. But is that accurate is what he's saying. Now, my thought on that is though, is diversity can be measured in more than just race. You can measure diversity in terms of where you come, you know, this is, I come from this uh, place, you come from this place, you grew, you know, there's so many different ways and we've narrowed it down to, well, we need to be diverse racially. But I will say this, um, and it's a different subject and and a source, but when I was hired to teach, um, my first day walking in the class, you know, the kids get there early. I've shared the story many times. This is not talking about universities. This is talking about uh, the workforce. And I have a different, a little slightly different view of the workforce, but I'll just give this as an example. I park my car. I walk through all the students who are hanging out in, outside the building because the bus has dropped them off. And I walked in my very first day of teaching in 1996 to applause. I just, all this, there was just applause, 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 applause. Never, I never expected that, but the applause was this. They, I was the black teacher in the, in the district. And that mattered to those students. students. Um, so, and then I remember a student coming in and my class, he peeked in, he was like, I'm not trying to be rude, but by the time we got a black lady up in here, black teacher (laughs) up in here, you know, um, was he wrong? Was he, was his focus wrong? They were looking for diversity. I don't think so. I don't think so. That was 1996. I think, um, you know, we're, we're, at tw- that's t- almost 20 years late. Was it 20 years? That's more than, it's almost more 30 than 20 years, years right? Almost 30, 30. Years, 30 years later. Good thing I don't teach math. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that was a long time ago. And I think, um, you know, I'm so proud of our school. Um, we have pre-K through 12th grade and college classes. And we have, um, we have, we have male teachers. We have um, obviously women, we have Hispanics, we have Black, we have African, we have Caribbean, we have um, we have Indian, we have, there's such a, a huge, such a, a, an amazing mixture of, um, of teachers. And again, I think it has to go, you know, if, if people want to see, if people, if, if adults, let's look at adults, if parents or an adult want to see more diversity, college, you know, they want to see more diversity, then, you know, we, we got to say, okay, these opportunities are available for you, run for it, you know, go to the best, if you're interested in engineering, you go to the best top engineering schools, you know, if you're interested in medical school, you know, in, in being a doctor of sorts, then, you know, here are the, here are the schools laid out before you, which ones do you want to go to, you know, mm-hmm. the HBCUs are um, amazing, you know, they're historically amazing, uh, places to be, you know, a lot of, I didn't go to HBCU, but I have family members who, you know, who love them and are, you know, alma maters and they're so proud of their experience. Um, but they're, they're, we, can, we can't say that same, set that same parameter or because there's lack of diversity there that they don't produce outstanding collegiates, outstanding, you know, Mm-hmm. CEOs and, and surgeons and politicians and well, in fact, know? they are producing that. Yeah. So, so yeah. Mike, you you two are saying diversity is imp- is important, but just get there by merit. Yeah. Well, the, here's the thing. My vision on diversity is a little skewed because 
I'm from South Florida. This is a massive melting pot. I grew up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, um, you know, I didn't travel outside to outside states since I was in my 20s. So this is what I know. And I grew up going to school. We had black students. Again, it wasn't, it was more Latin because of the fact that, you know, immigrants would come here, but we had black, we had Indian. I remember, I don't remember, for me, that was never an issue because I saw diversity everywhere. Yeah. You know, according to, you know, my parents and especially my mother who had been here since the 60s said that this was primarily a very white Jewish um, area until the 80s with, you know, things like Miami Vice and all that, then people started flocking in. And then more rise with the Mariel, with the Cubans coming, and then more immigrants coming in. So I grew up around this. So I, you know, my thought process might be a little skewed because there really wasn't, I'd never experienced racism as far as where I'm from mm-hmm. ever, because it was just, you know, we have everything here, you know. I live in now Miami Lakes, which is supposedly a better suburb of Miami, a little more affluent. It's really not. And again, it's the same thing. This, there's diversity everywhere I go. So maybe I misspoke when I said by merit, but at the same time, I've seen a lot of people that I've known, that I know since from kindergarten, to, you know, social media helps, uh, that I knew in school, that it were all minorities of different backgrounds who have managed to make wonderful lives for themselves because they worked hard. I was in school. The girl who, um, the uh, valedictorian was, she, where was she from? She was an Asian Pacific Islander. Um, I think she was Thai, if I'm not mistaken. She mm-hmm. came from a Thai background. The val- the salutatorian was, I believe, Cuban. We had um, African-American girls who were, uh, you get me? So I saw I, them. I, I get you. I, I get you. But what I also get is that there are other people who are saying you're speaking of that in a positive way and they want that same opportunity and they don't mm-hmm. believe that they can get it apart from affirmative action. So unless the mindset changes, because I what I hear from you guys is that you can work hard enough and we will get there. And there are other people who think we, we won't. But again, I think that comes with um, how you're raised because you know you, you see it all the time. Uh, I'll put uh, black people like, you know, I came from the worst possible situation and my mother, always told me work hard to get out of it you get me so I think yeah. it comes from you know the parent is a generational thing yeah. um I don't think um the people who went through everything in the 60s the especially the blacks black people they didn't tell their kids well look what I went through so you know sit back and relax you know I don't think they did that because they worked hard they had I don't, I don't find a nicer way of saying this without being vulgar. They had the courage to go and, you know, fight for what they wanted. Um, so I, I think they pass that along to their kids. It's, I think it's a generational thing. And that goes for all backgrounds, be it black, yeah, white, yeah. Hispanic. Okay. It's a generational thing. You've got, you have to tell your kids work. Yeah. Okay. All right, Kia, what were you going to say? I think that I, I agree with Mike and I, and we, like we said, we, this is sort of an anomaly down here because, you know, I've lived in New York. I lived in New Jersey. We lived in upstate oh. New York, you know, lived in, um, oh, sorry, Mike. I think the, the sound might have I think you did. I think you did. Sorry. Um, you know, lived in, we lived in Texas. Um, 
and and different parts of South Florida here. And, you know, a lot of places in America are not like this unit. Like you said, you know, people want that. But again, I think it has to it has to go back to, you know, how are we educating? How are we educating our students? It, it has to go back to, you know, are we putting it? Are we putting practices in place that um, brings value to everyone? And gives everyone the opportunity, you know, this is for you. And my guidance counselor told me that I was not college material. Obviously, I wrote him off right away. Right away. You know, I was like, you're dead to me. Okay. You know, (laughs) as a guidance counselor, you know, finally the parents got him fired. You know, he was like, how dare you say, anyway, still heated about that. But I mean, how dare you tell someone, how dare you tell somebody that, you know, um, and, you know, so yeah, we do, we will have people who will be, you know, there is discrimination, there's racism there, all of that is still, yes. you know, still exists. But I think that if, if students are given the opportunity and the understanding that, you know, there are more people out here, you need to understand who everybody, who our entire community is and what that's like, and then be, be a part of that, be a part of that solution. You know, I think we have to hire, our, our businesses have to change. You know, I mean, that's kind of the, the other side of the coin yeah, that if we get rid of, is that where you're going? Well, not, no, but that's, <laughs> it's in my mind. It's in my thoughts. Yeah. But um, it is another part of the conversation that um, we, we could get into, but. Can I, I'm sorry. Can I add something yeah. real quick? Yeah. Another thing, and I'm sure um, Kia can agree with, um, on top of the fact that there's entitlement and all these things, social media doesn't help. I last, my first year, I was uh, shocked at the amount of students who, I'm like, so what do you want to do when you grow up? They have to, and oh, I want to hustle. I go, what do you mean? That's, you know, hustle for me was something different. Like, yeah, I'm going to hustle to make money. Okay, how? No, I'm just going to hustle. Everything's about social media, and they see that everything's. queen, yeah. Yeah, everything, all of that. And they, 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 all these influencers who, who don't really work hard or these celebrities who are like, oh, look at my house, how everything's perfectly made up. And they think that's their ideal situation. And they think, oh, they didn't have to work hard. I kind of don't have to work hard either. So that that, I remember several students of different backgrounds, like, yeah, I'm going to hustle, you know, and then with the whole hand gestures, I mean, I don't know if anybody, that was their thing, their hustle. I'm like, Okay, but go to college first, like hustle after. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the other, the flip side of that are the students who are working extremely hard and yet they still feel that they're disadvantaged. Now, Mm -hmm. with this decision. Now, here's the thing. I heard someone say recently, and I know I'm not going to quote it exactly right, but, and I don't even remember who was saying it, but they said that people have gotten, gotten so used to, um, getting an advantage that when thing when the playing field is level they consider mm-hmm. it a disadvantage because they've gotten accustomed to the entitlement so that when the entitlement and everybody's on a level playing field that's mm-hmm. now a disadvantage you know it's kind of it's interesting um when you think about that kia you may remember without any names there was a professor in <laughs> The college we went to, yes, she gave every, I know. <laughs> she gave every black student an A. <laughs> Everyone, 
And everybody knew it. If you took her class and you were black, that's right. You were going to get an A. And she did talk to me about that once in her office at right. an office for something. And, and she was upfront about it. And she was just like, you know, I know there are people who would think I'm wrong to give black students an A, but they have enough to overcome. And that's, and that's what she did. And you know what? I took my A. <laughs> me too. Me too. Now, I'm not going to lie. I worked hard and I was, I, I believe I, you know, I'm, I'm sure I uh, deserve the A, I think. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> you know, and now some people will say that's hypocritical, you know, well, that's like reparations. If you're handing it out, I'm taking it, you know. Uh, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't think we should be getting them, but I'm not going to, you know, I mean, you know. Anyway. I'm not going to send it back either. I'm not, I'm not sending it back. <laughs> exactly. You know? But, but, um, she, but I said that to say, I'm not saying that I, you know, I didn't do my work or anything like that because I did. But, you know, when I saw her name on that right. her class, I knew that she was, but that's, un, that was unfair, right? To that's right. other students. But she felt Absolutely. like that was her part to play. But that brings me to something that I had said to Kia when I said, how do you know that it was an affirmative action that got you there? I want to turn our attention to um, our former president, President uh, former President Obama and our former first lady because they had a response, obviously, right. um, considered the first black president and his wife but they had a strong response. Now, um, former President Obama, he said, affirmative action was, this is what he tweeted, affirmative action was never a complete answer in the drive towards a more just society. But for generations of students who had been systemically excluded from most of America's institutions, it gave us the chance to show we more than deserved a seat at the table. In the wake of the Supreme Court's recent decision, it's time to redouble our efforts. And he shared his wife's statement, which I'm going to share the screen so you can actually see. But he used the same terminology you use, but totally with a different mindset. He's saying that it gave us a chance to show that we deserve a seat at the table. And, mm -hmm. and we would not have had the opportunity to show that we could be at the table. But I believe you two are saying th there may have been a time when that was necessary, but where we are now, you have to earn your seat at the table because it uh, sounds like you believe that there's a, a level playing field. Yes. I do. Okay. The thing no, is, uh, like, for example, first off, if I had the professor, she was handing out ACE to uh, Latin students, I would have taken that A with pride and said, thank you, ma'am. Like, you know. Um, but I think like I, it suited, it had a purpose, but yeah, I think everything you should, you need to work hard for it because it's like, I tell my students with, um, 504s and IPs, those are like, you know, they have something that they need a, a little bit of an advantage. Yeah. Life will not hand you an advantage each and every time. Once you get into the real world, life is not, you're not going to tell your boss, oh, I have ADHD. So I wasn't able to get my uh, project done. They're not going to go, oh, okay, that's fine. They're going to go, okay, you're fired. And I tell them that'll all end. Advantages will end. And if you get them, anybody used to getting an advantage, they're going to expect that forever. And then when they don't get it, it's going to be disappointing. Yeah. So I think, you know, after a certain point in time, advantages are, uh, I don't want to say dangerous, What's um, are not advantageous. Yeah, they're counterproductive. Absolutely. All right. So, so let's, let's, I want to read and show, show 
what um uh what Michelle Obama had to say. So our statements on the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn affirmative action, and I already told you what uh, what he uh, had to say, and this is what um, Mrs. Obama said. Back in college, I was one of the few Black students on my campus, and I was proud of getting into such a respected school. I'm assuming that was Princeton, I believe. Um, I knew I'd worked hard for it, but still, I sometimes wondered if people thought I got there because of affirmative action. It was a shadow that students like me couldn't shake, whether those doubts came from the outside or inside our own minds. But the fact is this, I belonged. And semester after semester, decade after decade, for more than half a century, countless students like me showed they belonged too. It wasn't just the kids of color who benefited either. Every student who heard a perspective they might not have encountered, who had an assumption challenge, who had their minds and their hearts opened, gained a lot as well. It wasn't perfect, but there's no doubt that it helped offer new ladders of opportunity for those who throughout our history have too often been denied a chance to show how fast they can climb. Of course, students on my campus and countless others across the country were, and continue to be, granted special consideration for admissions. Some have parents who graduated from the same school. Others have families who can afford coaches to help them run faster or hit a ball harder. Others go to high schools with lavish resources for tutors and extensive standardized test prep that help them score higher on college entrance exams. We don't usually question if those students belong. So often we just accept that money, we accept that money, power and privilege are perfectly justifiable forms of affirmative action. While kids growing up like I did are expected to compete when the ground is anything but level. I didn't highlight that, it came that way. <laughs> so, so today my heart breaks for any young person out there who's wondering what their future holds and what kinds of chances will be open to them. And while I know the strength and grit that lies inside kids who have always had to sweat a little more to climb the same ladders, I hope and I pray that the rest of us are willing to sweat a little too. Today is a reminder that we've got to do the work, not just to enact policies that reflect our values of equity and fairness, but to truly make those values real in all of our schools, workplaces, and neighborhoods. So there are a few things that stand out to me and her statement, but, and I'm going to ask you, but I want to start with what she said about the shadow. Mm -hmm. And that's what I meant when I said, how do you know it wasn't affirmative action? I believe that affirmative action does cast a shadow on every person, mm -hmm. every minority person that people, you, you, like she said, is it in my own mind or what? But she had that sense that People were looking at her like she got where she got because she was black. Right. Um, mm. And just like that was said to you, Kia, it's because right. you, you were black. And I think it does put a shadow, but she's saying, I, it didn't matter. I, I, I belong, you know? And so she she's willing to, to deal with that, but isn't that an unfair weight to carry? In the sense that, um, we are, every avenue of our society may not be as integrated as some, as others, you know, as the NBA or as NFL, you know, NHL, you know, they're, they're still very low, say, you know, in, in turning towards sports as for the analogy here, um, that there's a, a low minority um, participant level 
in, in the NHL. But I don't know, I remember as a kid thinking, I wish there were more people like me, but I'm not going to bail out and choose to follow, find more people like me because, because I don't fit in. No, I'm going to, no, no. I'm going to fit in. So I think that to go back to the shadow. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the weight of, of the weight of, of constantly feeling like you have to prove that you truly prove. have earned that place. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it in that. I, I understand it. And I've, I have felt, um, I have felt that at time, but I'm always reminded of my upbringing. And I think Mike pointed out that pointed this out is like where, you know, my parents said, you can do anything. You can go anywhere. You can be anybody. So it doesn't matter who's sitting across from you or who's sitting. doesn't matter what the, doesn't matter what the black folks say down the neighborhood that I did not live in, you know? Um, so my parents were instilled, instilled that idea in me early on. And I tried to instill that into my kids as well, is that you may not, you know, never allow anybody else to make you feel like you don't belong. But what yeah. happens, Kia, when the fact is that you are, the fact is that some people are there because they earned it. Some people are there because they are, because of affirmative action. And then there's the assumption. We don't know. I have heard over, but the, I have heard over and over again in this decision, people coming after Justice Clarence Thomas, as they always mm -hmm. do, because he's the sellout, as they say, right. and all that he takes. But people are like, I just can't believe that someone who benefited from affirmative action, as he no doubt did, such and such, do we know that? But the assumption is that you're Black, you're Hispanic, whatever, then you must have benefited from affirmative action. Well, and that's he, part of the say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. We don't know for sure, but he did say he felt like he, he definitely benefited from affirmative action, but, and I think that was part of his, um, in part of his, um, his, um, his comments and his opinion is that it's time to turn. We need to make, we need to make a turn. So this is not to upset the car and make everyone suffer, make all our, our black and brown brothers and sisters suffer. This is to say, you can do, you've got this, you've got this. I mean, I hear Michelle Obama's um, cry on the other hand, but I also hear the call to action, which I completely agree with, is that is that our educators, our businesses, our you know workplaces, we've got to st stand up and say, look, we're going to all move forward together. And if the rest of society doesn't do it, we can't we can't depend only on the universities to say, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna handle it. We need we need equality in every in every sector of society, and everybody has to move together. So you know. Uh, I think that's that's our that's going to be our responsibility. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think that that's part of the problem with affirmative action is that it casts that shadow in an unfair way. That people would say to you as a college student, "You're here because you're black." That's unfair. And you know, and it, kind of, it kind of feels like again, I never went through that. It kind of feels like, man, all my hard work was for what? To, be, to to just be put in this box. Like, I mean, he is my colleague, my friend. I love her. So the fact that she said that, I'm like, who said that? So we could track him down. But um <laughs> yeah, but you know, but I get it. And I and I and um I don't agree a lot with what you know the Obama say, but that shadow is an unfortunate side effect. Um, you know, have ease the head. You I I'm sure she didn't go, oh yeah, I want to take advantage of affirmative action. I doubt that you know she seems like she's a hardworking person. She fought for what she got, but 
it unfortunately did it has a side effect everything has a side effect there's nothing perfect in this world the only thing that existed that was perfect in the world was jesus so uh you know everything else everything carries a price so yes and it was around at a time yeah. that, and that it was needed but at the same time it wasn't as much of a blessing as people thought it was because she, like she said there was a shadow over her head constantly that that negated that negated kia's all of her hard work and mm-hmm. you know it excuse the, the language but it sucks it sucked mm-hmm. well i remember when i got hired the head of the english department said to me i was about two weeks before school started i was hired late uh, there's a whole uh, black and white story along those lines i'll i'll, I'll spare you that for now, but um, I was in the room setting up my room and she said, um, there are people who are saying that the only reason you were hired is because you're black. Um, she wanted to let me know that. She said, but all they would have to do is talk to you for five minutes and they would realize you know, that you deserve to be here. And I don't know what I said, but all I know was, y'all can think whatever y'all want, hand me that check. <laughs> <laughs> I need a job. <laughs> but again, why would she get it's it's but she was I, letting me know. She was yeah. letting me know mm. that that's what was going on. That's what because there had been a board meeting and someone on the board who was black had stood up and said it's a shame that in such a diverse environment as this, right, we don't have black teachers. And shortly right. thereafter, I was, you know, I uh, shortly thereafter I was um, interviewed. They had already started interviewing. But see, they don't know that five minutes before the call, I was on my knees praying. It was the Lord. They hey. that. <laughs> and that's what I say. Honestly, I thought it was affirmative action, but I had been on my knees praying. Lord, right. I need a job. I what am I going to do? But you know, and uh, my phone rang, and um, but so they think that's why. But God says they, they don't know. I mean, I don't know all of that. But um, but she wanted me to know that that's what people were thinking. And she was like, but all I have to do is talk to you. And I'm serious. All I thought was, I'm qualified. I know what I come. I know what I right. I don't care what they think, but I do want to get paid. So because I am qualified, which you will soon see, you can go ahead and hand me the check. All um, right. So let's, I just want to look, but no, I don't want to, I want to, I don't know if you caught this, but one of the things the former first lady said though, was we do have preferential treatment in admissions in other ways. When, when your parent has gone to the school, there's preferential treatment, there's preferential treatment in various ways from in, in sport, you know, if you can afford to, to train your child, then they have an advantage if you can right. uh, to do standardized tests. So she's saying, why are they cutting off affirmative action in terms of race when they're doing it other ways? And she believes it still needs to be done because she believes we're systemically racist. So does she have a good point though? Well, I think she, I think to that, to that point, that's where I can say, you know, I I agree in that sense, in the sense that um, there are other ways. Well, and I think universities are going to have to take the, take the, um, take the stand and say, you know, if we have students who can't afford those, those, those um, Ivy League schools are incredibly expensive. Any private university are just insanely expensive. And the, you know, there's talk um, around in Congress about regulating that. How can we regulate um, and you know the cost of cost of college and universities? 
You know, what else can we do? You know, I think that they're going to have to do, they're going to have to prepare or provide different kinds of grants and scholarships so that, so that there is a, a level of opportunity. So if affirmative action doesn't get you in, you have opportunity to go there. You should apply. You know, I wouldn't say that any, any student who couldn't afford it, who couldn't afford to, you know, realistically afford to go to Harvard or Yale because of the because of the cost to not apply. You know, so I think these universities are going to have to they're going to have to supply um, other factors that say that, that give be, opportunities for folks. But should we be doing those things? So she's using those as examples of why affirmative action should stand. I'm saying maybe we should stop doing that where your parent went to the school. So now you get your legacy. Right. You know, we know that all from sorority. Legacy, and all. oh, for sure. Your, your legacy, she points out. So it, does she? she's trying to say that if you can do that, then you should be able to do race-based as well. I'm saying, should it that all be, be gone? And it should it all, yeah, Mike. For example, if... Um... A student is a legacy. Well, they better prove their legacy because if their parents went to that school and it's a great school, then they better have the grace to back it up. I don't think they should get in because mom and dad went there. Because if they have a 1.2 GPA, but they can throw a football, it's too bad. You know, there should be a merit, you know, if it's Harvard or Stanford or UM or whatever these expensive schools are, uh, legacy shouldn't have anything to do with it. Sororities and fraternities, that's a little different. But as far as school, no. No, that's, yeah. well, but we well, also I mean, I look at that, that that money money talks and it's loud. So <laughs> you know, yeah. to Kia's point, yeah, 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 exactly. Well, and and I think that um, when I look at our our school, you know, we've got some uh, we have some of the most um, you know dynamic students that I've ever met. Um, you know, and they're getting they they graduated with their associate's degrees um, out of high school. Um, so they're taking AP classes and ACE classes and and dual enrollment classes, and they've done that, and and more than sixty credits outside of high school. That's and they work a part time job, you know. So we yeah. we have students who are doing it of all races, and um, and some of them are they've got tutors on the side, or their parents are their parents committed to say I'm going to help you get to where you need to be, so that you have a, a head. So I think it's for for parents who can't afford those things, can't afford those tutors like she mentioned or you know don't have those the um don't have those networkings the schools have to you know our our um education facilities in America have so much money they kind of need to be reworked a little bit you know some of the they need to I mean I love how we how we do it in Florida we have school choice look if you know that the programs have Programs have, um, you know, they're giving SAT prep, they're giving ACT prep, they're giving tutoring. We've got summer tutoring, we've got tutoring going on this summer. You know, there are opportunities. And if you're not taking advantage of those, those free opportunities, then, you know, you missed out. You, you, speak, you speak just to what I was thinking earlier. And that is, we want to put a ban, I think affirmative action now is being, it's a, ban it's a bandage. Um, because we understand that, there are issues in education with test scores and, and how people are producing, how districts are producing. And school choice is some, and that's a political issue. It should not be. But we just right. had a state representative in Georgia, just wrote about it um, on my Substack uh, last night. A representative in Georgia, she left one political party 
for the other political party. She left the mm -hmm. Democrats for the Republicans, okay? Because education is a key for, you know, and every time she speaks up about school choice, she's getting fought because of course, one group is in bed with teachers unions. I mean, that's just right. the way it is. It's They're, insane. It's, 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 and so they're willing to sacrifice children to keep the teachers unions happy. But uh, former President Obama, when he came in office, he got rid of the voucher program in DC, which was for three years, highly successful. And he took a lot of criticism for that because his children were going to the best schools, but he cut that program for other people. Mm -hmm. And so, we, you know, I think the, high, the, the college level is a little bit too late to start being concerned about kids getting into schools. We need to do the right thing that's right. from the beginning and fill in the deficits so that it is a fair uh, field. Well, let's, here's, it, it all boils down to students. So I am, as we uh, sort of try to wind down here, because uh, I don't <laughs> want to keep you guys too long, but I want to play this video from a Black student. And this is how she feels about the decision. This was a, uh, an interview ABC did with her and then we will follow that up with a, a student giving giving his perspective. Bumio Masori, pro-affirmative action student at both Duke and at UNC Chapel Hill and I'm curious what your reaction is. I know that uh, you were hoping this would go the other way. What do you make of uh, what you've learned in their decision so far that they say can't uh, simply uh, be sort of a check mark based on identity but must be part of a student's uh, narrative, what they present to the school as, as part of their biography? Well, I would say that I'm I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. When we talk about holistic admissions, to say that you can include a student's identity, the student, the person behind the papers and the grades and the test scores, that you're not allowed to include race, which is such an encompassing part of at least my identity as an underrepresented minority, it it makes me feel upset. We know what happens when affirmative action goes away from universities. We can look at California, we can look at uh, Michigan, who has already banned it, and see how their state flagships lack a astounding number of Black and Latino students. The one thing that really is, is making me sad, I'll, I'll just say today, is that my identity has to be my race, the, you know, the struggles that I've gone through, the tr trauma I've gone through as an African-American woman in the United States. If I were applying to college today, I would have to write about those traumas in my Common Up essay. I would have to write about those traumas and those very hard experiences for admissions officers to accept the overwhelming truth that we all know, which is that it is hard to be a Black person in America. And I don't think that's fair. And Bumi, that's the point John Carl was making moments ago, that students might now be forced to write about uh, their experiences or about particular experiences that perhaps they might not have uh, included in, in their essays uh, because they've, they're not allowed now moving forward to put on that piece of paper a, a key part of their identity. That's, that's what you're saying here? Yeah, I'm saying that like, for example, when I was applying to college last year, I had put down that I'm African-American. I had put down that I come from a Nigerian family. Um, and being from the area that I was, everyone who is involved in college admissions knows that I was 
by being black, more likely to experience things such as under-resourced schools, which I went to growing up, more likely to have teachers that didn't look like me, which was the case in my school. I did not have a black teacher. And so I think that when it comes to kids who are applying in the next cycle, it is going to be hard to see themselves as someone outside of the race. I feel like that's what allowed affirmative action by it being limited in the past to just being one factor considered amongst a host of others in a holistic process. It was never going to be the deciding factor after Baki versus UC Davis, I believe, yeah. though many people still believe that it is. And I think that now that students are forced to talk about racial discrimination and their experiences with it, their obstacles with it in their college essays, they're now being known by their race first and by their academics and otherwise other experiences second, because they have to put that in the forefront to prove their experiences through racism in the United States. Yeah. Um, she said something there at the end that, oh, now they have to be known as their race first. But if you're getting in because of your race, you're being known for your race first. So I, I, I don't, I, I mean, maybe I'm mixing things up here, but yeah, she's, oh, but now that they have to write about it, which know, they, they don't have to write about. <laughs> yeah, they don't, of course. You know, not every, you know, then, you know, there are black students that we have, we're in a very affluent area, our school, Kia, where he and I work, and there's a lot of students who did not go through that. So does, does that devaluate them, devalue them as black students because they didn't go through a struggle? Or mm -hmm. should you only be considered because you went through something? No, that, it's, it's a slippery slope. But yeah, she contradicted herself there. Yeah. Yeah. Kia? I agree. <laughs> you agree? You know, something she said that stands out to me that concerns me is that what you hear a lot, she said it's hard to be an African-American in America. Where is there a better place? Uh, obviously, her parents came here, uh, you know. Um, exactly. Why? Why? Yeah. I'm like, it's hard. It's hard to be. It's hard to be. It's hard to live right now. I mean, life is tough, but this is the greatest place to be. Uh, we got people by the multitudes trying to get here, but she feels that she should have an, an advantage because of her story, which is so bad being here in America. Reminds mm -hmm. me of Jill Scott, who right before, you know, around the 4th of July, changed the words to, you know, the national anthem, you know, this rich woman who's what, 12, worth $12 million or something like, I mean, anyway. So it, it just reminds me of what Mike said at the beginning, the victim mindset. And she really mm -hmm. believes that she's not going to get anywhere. And she's like, well, race is just a factor. One of the things that came out in the conversation that uh, Megan Kelly had with Jason Riley is that they have found that when race becomes a factor, it becomes the factor. The factor. Absolutely. And that's, that's the that's an issue there. We saw that with that twenty five percent Asian versus the ninety five percent. If you're um, African American, speaking of Asian, right. uh, um, they interviewed ABC interviewed a uh, an Asian young man following this, and so I want to play what uh, what he feels about the decision. Alex Shea, prospective Brown University student. I know, Alex, you're on the other side of this. You were hoping that the Supreme Court would move in the direction that it did today. Uh, why do you think that this is the right way to move forward on this? Right. Well, I think this is a win for students all across America. 
because we shouldn't be judging students based on their race when we're deciding who gets in, into what schools. I think that, um, I, I believe that your previous guest is mistaken in this regard, because I think that by getting rid of affirmative action, now we look at the individual student and what they've accomplished, and we can look at what barriers they've overcome, but we, sh but we view them as an individual first and foremost, as opposed to just viewing them as an, a blob in an amorphous, larger racial group, as opposed to just under this new system, we get to view students for who they are as individuals. And I think that's a much better way to go forward on this topic. You heard Booby's point there, though, that this now forces students, if they want uh, the school to take into account race in some fashion or form, that they're going to have to now write about this. Right. Well, I, well, I think that fundamentally, right, for most people, race is just it's just a characteristic. It's sort of the way that your body manifests. I think that in some for some students that does play a role in how they experience the world, but for some students it doesn't. And I think that allowing them that option to uh, express that in in an essay, for instance, affords much more freedom because race doesn't affect everybody the same way. And to just have a blanket policy where everybody's race is considered no matter what, I, I don't think that's appropriate because it, it impacts different people in different ways. I find that a lot of these arguments oftentimes in favor of affirmative action are somewhat incongruous because I've heard a lot of people that say like, hey, affirmative action, it's a good way to overcome past discrimination. But in, in my experience, I, as an Asian American, I'm not exactly sure how that works for me because it's much more difficult for Asian Americans uh, to gain admittance to schools than for white students, for instance. And I don't think that you'll see in the past any instance of um, Asians discriminating against whites. So for me, that sort of just falls flat. I'm going to Brown next year, and I'm happy that the admissions officers at Brown um, took me for whatever reason. But it does make me feel a little bit uncomfortable knowing that in that admissions office, when they were deciding whether they were going to accept me, reject me, that they might have been considering my race. Because I, I think that that's not something that I can control or that anyone can control. And I think that it's unfair to judge someone based on that when there are really so many better ways to judge students based on their character, based on their accomplishments. Race, it's just, it's just how you're born and you, you can't change it. That's just deep. <laughs> It yep. is. That's powerful. That's powerful. And he's he's so right. I, I think that the bottom line of the argument is, um, are we what kind of society do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a society where where we recognize the value of every single person, regardless of, you know, how much melanin they have in their skin or not, you know, or, or not? You know, we can't have it both ways. That's really the bottom line. We cannot have it both ways. Mm -hmm. That's good. And he, he, even, he even mentions how he is that he fears that somewhere in an academic office, they only have him in Brown, which is a, I'm assuming it's a prestigious school. I don't know about that. Um, you know, they chose him because of his, because he's Asian. So even then the shadow that Michelle Obama was kind of talking about, he doesn't want falling on him. He wants to be there because he deserves to be there. He worked his tail off mm -hmm. to be there. And, by the way, he speaks. I would have loved to have had this kid in my class. Yeah, me too. Man, this this kid would have been perfect. Um, you know, you could tell that he's worked hard to educate. You know, in his education, all that to get to where he's at. He doesn't want to be there to to check a box. He wants to be there because he deserves it, and yeah. that's how the mindset should be. Yeah, and he he said it makes him feel uncomfortable just thinking that that entered the conversation. You know, right. and you talked about how articulate he is. And she was equally articulate. 
Yes. You know, I may not agree with what she said, <laughs> and, yes, you know, but she was clearly bright. She, you know, uh, she goes to Duke and she's, she's clear. And I, here's my desire as we, as we, as we wrap up my desire and maybe we, we come, I know we're people of faith. And, and so perhaps we look at things differently because I, I have a problem with people who go to church on Sundays they, I mean, they singing in the choir, they running the aisles, they're, they're everything. And then God, with him, with God, all things are possible, you know, you know, and they got the whole thing, you know, devil, you can't keep me down, you know, that's on <laughs> Sunday. But Monday, I can't get into the school or I can't get the job or whatever, because the white man has, is holding me down. Those things don't work together. Now, either we believe that God is you know, if, if he opens a door, no man can close it. And if he closes the door, no man can open it, open it. Either we believe that or we don't. Yes. I, I doubt Jesus is going, ah, man, they got rid of affirmative action. I'm not sure how I'm going to get such and such Shaniqua into the school. I just don't think that, uh, you know, and so maybe as a person of faith, but what I desire is that those, that those young people, like the young lady would believe that you know what? This isn't a horrible country. <laughs> there are incredible opportunities. That's I right. am bright. I do work hard and I can make, I can get in, you know, mm -hmm. not to say there aren't obstacles, not to say that there aren't racist people, but I think we've seen the reverse of that. We have seen people who have gone up, um, in the complete other direction, you know? Right. And so that's that's where I, I stand on the issue. Um, I be, maybe it was you know I mean I understand the argument that it was needed at one point, but I think now we've gone the other direction and we quote Martin Luther King and we and, and all that and he did say about one day we would live in a nation where we would not be judged by the color of our skin, hmm. by the content of our character, and we'll add that's by right. the grades and all that. But we say that, but I don't know that we mean that, right? you know so right. uh, that's where i stand and i i'm glad i had you two on um it was very rich i, I intended to have have four people who knows what they the other two would have said but i i gleaned a lot from what you had to say and, and i believe our audience will too they may disagree and that's okay you know adrianross.com at gmail.com send me an email or leave a if you're watching on youtube leave a comment on, on youtube or or whatever but but um, I just think that you two brought some some valuable points, and and as educators, I think that's important. But I want to give you an opportunity to um to each have a, a final a final word on this. Ladies Mike, you want to start? Oh, okay. No, no. Uh, I'll start. This is fun. I I was hoping. I was nervous. I thought it was going to sound like Rain Man. Um, I'm like, please God. Um, yeah, great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um. I think you you hit it on the head for the three of us, which is unfortunate that not everyone believes this way. You know, I'm one of my favorite verses is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I believe, and I can't sit back on my laurels and be like, okay, Christ or God, take it and then you know hand it to me. No, nothing has ever been handed to me. You yeah. get me? It, it it goes with working hard, and even people who are not of faith I think a lot of people feel that way and. Um, I think with affirmative action being taken away, it's going to re, uh, reprogram a lot of people and be like, you know, okay, now I have to work hard. Again, mm -hmm. I agree with um, what we talked about and, you know, let, let, let's see what happens because this is the newest thing and it'll be for, around for a while until there's something else, another political 
Mm -hmm. happens and then you know it's just it's 2023 america but this is the best country in the world so (laughs) yeah i agree yeah yeah i agree too and i don't don't think the battle is over for sure either kia what about you i i think my thoughts um scan the spectrum of we have we are two generations away or two generations removed from um, Civil Rights Act, where our parents went to college um, because they, they only went to, they had very little choices and they pursued and they overcame and they prepared a way for, for you know, you and me, for our generation, that we could do the same for our generation. There's so, there, we have such a rich history of people that have gone before us. We've had a, a black president we have a, a we have a black we have two was it two female two or three f- three female um, Supreme Court justices two of which are are uh, minorities in America we have we have uh, um, African American Asian Island Pacific um, uh, Vice President you know she kind of scans all those all those and she kind of checks, <laughs> checks all those all boxes, boxes. <laughs> she checks all those boxes I mean we live in a, a time in a day where where we can we're at the highest point of position in America to you know person selling flowers on the corner you know mm-hmm. uh, you know in the middle of University Drive you know mm-hmm. we can we can do whatever it is that we we can we have businesses we are CEOs we are you know, we're CFOs, we're engineers, we're building bridges, we're building neighborhoods, we're, you know, yeah. we're taking on environmental um, challenges. I mean, so, so I, I don't think it's necessary. I think we've got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for those who are working hard, and you're just truly concerned, um, I just want to, I just want to say this, you know, be not weary in well doing, you know, you shall reap if you faint not. And uh, so I'm with you guys. I think, uh, I think we got this and I think it was the right step. And I think it was, I believe it's time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in and let me pick your brain. I really, really appreciate um, your expertise and your thoughts. And uh, maybe we'll get to do this again. So keep up the good work there in Florida with them kids. Use that bad English, them kids. (laughs) All right. Thank Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for being Thank on the God bless you. Likewise. God bless, God bless. That was indeed a rich conversation. I so appreciate Kia and Mike and all that they brought to this discussion, which as I said, some people uh, feel that it's complicated and um, you know, I'm inclined to think that it is um, it's deep. I don't know if I would use complicated, but it's certainly deep. You know, and you can decide whether you think it's complicated or not. Some people say, hey, it's black and white. And some people say it's, a, you know, it's a mixture. I don't know. But it is an important conversation. It was an important decision. You may disagree. You know, I don't know what the other two guests would have said, but um, they weren't able to join us. They ran into some storms. And so um, so maybe another time. But um, but I'd love to hear from you. Uh, adrianrosscom at gmail.com. That's Adrian Ross, 
com. That's com at gmail.com. Leave a comment uh, for me there through an email or leave a comment on YouTube or on my Substack at adrianross.substack.com. adrianross.substack.com. You can also uh, go to the BMG network and and pay um, and uh, pay attention. I was going to say, um, take in the other podcasters who are there. That's so important. Go to the podcast platforms, leave a rating, leave a review, show your support. I really, really um, appreciate it. As do, as does um, the BMG network team. We all very much appreciate it. Wow, deep subject. All right. And I hope to hear from you. I will catch you next time on the Adrian Ross Show. God bless you. A 